Welcome to Where There Is Hope. Here we offer inspiration and encouragement from the Bible. With Travis Renfro, I'm John Lindsay. We're glad you're here. So in the last episode, we talked about what is sin. We started our discussion. We talked about the different words that are used in the Bible, uh, some of the different words. We talked about how we see it in ancient times, and we were talking about the Old Testament, um, how it kind of uh, progresses through the Old Testament, the people's understanding of sin. And um, we just talked about metaphors of sin in the Old Testament. And um, so I think what we'll do now is we'll go ahead and move into the New Testament. If you missed the first episode, go back and listen to it. Um, It'll put you where we are in our discussion right now. So, in the New Testament, we talked about this a little bit in the last episode, but the uh, the Greek society, the way they viewed sin was as a departure from justice. So this concept of missing the mark is really how the people of the, I could say the culture of the time would have viewed it. But as far as... Um, the Jewish people that we see introduced in the beginning of the New Testament, they still kind of had the same concept as the Old Testament portrayed. Um, this idea of transgression against the divine, um, who for uh, uh, for Christians and for Jews is the uh, the one supreme God. Thoughts before we get into it. Yeah. Yeah, just I hadn't think, said anything yet, so I was just making sure I wasn't uh, steamrolling. Yeah. Thanks for the shout-out. Um, I, I think that the Greek idea of sin feels more holistic to me than, than what the Old Testament, what the Jews had sort of developed in their thinking of sin. Um, I think I have more to say about that, but it fits much better later in your notes, so okay. I'm going to pause there. All right, so... We open the New Testament with Jesus and his ministry. And one of the things that he does a lot, as you see, is he he does a lot of miracles and heals a lot of maladies um, and illnesses and different things. And oftentimes it's associated with the forgiveness of sins, um, which is a tough concept to to uh, see at the time because it's, you know, how, how can I know that my sins are forgiven? Only God can do that. And so um, this is a a tough concept for the people. But something interesting to note is that oftentimes these things are associated with each other. And we know that um, just based on those things, some comments we see throughout the uh, New Testament, we see that the people traditionally thought that if you had sin in your life, that that would create illness or injury or some misfortune and that it was all the source of your sin in your life. Um, Do you think we still think that today or? I think some people do. Um, I I hope good Bible students don't. Uh, You think about Job's friends when all those horrible things happened to Job, which had nothing to do with him or his sin and his friends were basically like you had to have done something, you know, and that was such a, Uh, such a horrible thought Uh, they were really adding insult to to injury um, in some cases literally with Job but you know I don't know the whole lot of people who see a cause and effect relationship between sin and misfortune or sickness Um, 
But yeah, I, I think it, it's there. It's not as prevalent maybe as it used to be. I, th- I think if anything, we see the opposite, if I can say. How so? Um, so, oh no, my thought's leaving. Uh, so like if, if uh, so, so I should say this first. I do think that there are negative consequences to some sins, um, but it's, you know, I think you will experience things in your life that are the consequence of just some things are consequences of life and some things are consequences of sin. Mm-hmm. Um, but to follow back on what I was saying a minute ago, sometimes we think that if we um, uh, avoid sin and live a good life, that we'll have an easy, cushy life. And I don't think that's the case. And that's kind of what I meant, is that sometimes we link yeah. those things that if I'm a good Christian and I do everything right, I'll, you know, I'll make good money, I won't be persecuted. Um, and that's not really something that we see taught in the New Testament. So, um, because this world is not our home, and the things that happen here don't matter compared to eternity. Yeah, if there's nothing else you learn in Scripture, well, that shouldn't say that. There's a lot of really important things that are probably more important than what I'm going to say. But blessings from God are not merit-based. God doesn't give you blessings because you've earned them. Um, you know, the biggest blessings he gives us are mercy and grace, and by definition, they cannot be earned. So, yeah, to your point, uh, those folks who expect a health and wealth gospel uh, won't find, those, find that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yeah. So another thing that Jesus does is um, in the Sermon on the Mount, we see this. In Matthew 5 through 7, he uh, expands what constitutes sin from being an action to the action of thought. Um, so, for instance, speaking about one's lust for another woman in his heart, he says, um, you know, it's not just if you commit adultery that it's sinful, but now if you even think about, if you lust over her, you are committing sin, which that's a big jump from what they understood as sin in the Old Testament, because in the Old Testament it was, if you commit adultery, then it's sin. And they could say, well, I'm I'm almost there, but uh, I haven't completed the act, so therefore I haven't done it mm-hmm. technically, so I'm still not a sinner technically. And Jesus says, the moment you thought about it, you were a sinner. Um, so that really changes the understanding of sin in the eyes of the people here. Um, and if you look at Jeremiah 31, verse 33, this really foreshadows this kind of covenant that Jesus is talking about. It says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So we saw, we talked about this a little bit in the last episode. But it's almost a combination of the way that the, um, the Abraham and his descendants up to Moses and the Mosaic laws, like two things combined in one, in a sense, um, but better. I don't know. Thoughts? Yeah, I, I think it w- last episode we talked about the, the Mosaic law and how that sort of gave the people a... a you know, the codification, if I can, of putting everything in organized and understanding what consequences were for individual sins and that sort of thing. And my thought is that that was a blessing and a curse. 
it was a blessing to know God's expectations, to understand what God wanted uh, from his people, what sin was and those consequences. But the, the curse of that ended up being that people thought that they could, you know, obey them their way into righteousness. Um, they could be godly just by avoiding all of those things uh, that God had codified as sin. And that really led to the development of uh, the Pharisees and the way that they built, you know, their hedges around the law. Like, here's the law. We're going to take a step outside and say, okay, to avoid breaking the law, we're going to have another set of rules and then another set of rules and the boundaries get further and further out. And so ultimately, those people become sort of self-righteous. And Jesus really flips that on its head. And I, I love that you brought in the Jeremiah passage because it, it shows that it, this is not Jesus changing anything. This is Jesus illuminating what God had always expected of his people. That it's not enough to act holy. I need you to become holy. Um, and then you think about New Testament passages like uh, Pauline passages like Romans 12, 1 and 2, uh, ideas of renewing your mind. Uh, Ephesians four twenty three, really similar language. That it is more about changing who you are. Uh, it's a transformation and not just, you know, different behavior, but a inside out transformation. Great points. Uh, I like that you brought that up because that's really the setting for the, for the New Testament. These people that Jesus is preaching to are the same people that have this problem of just hardened hearts looking to check boxes. So we talked about the metaphors that we see in the Old Testament, and I'd like to bring some of those up again. Uh, we see the concept of burden and weights, uh, clean and unclean, sickness and debt. And we see a lot of these same things in the New Testament. We see burdens, debts, offenses, illness, and, and defiling. But what, what's the big difference in the New Testament? Well, there's remedy in the New Testament. Jesus comes to... You know, to lift the burden, to relieve, to pay the debt, to relieve um, the illness, um, to cleanse, you know, what has been defiled. Uh, so the, that's, that's the story. That's the most important thing uh, is Jesus comes as remedy for sin. So I got this um, quote from Lexham Bible Dictionary. It says, Moreover, sin comes to be seen not merely as the act of doing something wrong, nor even the act of thinking something wrong, but as an internal and personal force within each person and within the church, closely connected with the very personal force of Satan, who seeks to turn people away from God. I think we see this from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and the way that Jesus is able to, um, you know, with these metaphors, the way that he's able to relieve us, this is a, a personal battle on each level. And um, it changes sin from being a, a transgression against God, but a battle against Satan within the heart, if I can say it that way. No, I think that's well said. I mean, it, that's precisely what it is. And anyone who's dealt with a sin that is a lingering sin that you really struggle with over a long period of time feels that. Like, that's a very tangible feeling for that individual, that internal struggle that we have. So, you know, we've studied all this, and um, I guess my question is, is sin a bad thing? 
Yeah, and you know, I guess that it seems like it's a very simple answer, right? But I, I think one of the ways I think you illustrate that is consider the change in the relationship between God and man. Yeah. So when before sin, we, we can read in Genesis 2 and 3 that God would walk in the garden with Adam and Eve. And there seems to be, when Adam and Eve sin and they hide themselves from God, God is surprised that they're hiding. Um, not that God's unaware, but this is different. Like, that's not their normal behavior. Uh, they say that they're naked. Who told you that you're naked? You know, all these things. So something has changed. Sin has changed it. Uh, and then I think one of the best illustrations is by the time you get to Moses, and Moses goes, sees the burning bush, goes before God. God says, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. This is different. I'm not walking with you in the garden in the cool of the day anymore. You ha- being in my presence is different than it used to be. And then even on Mount Sinai, when the Ten Commandments are delivered, the people are terrified. The mountain is shaking. There's smoke. There's fire. When God speaks, it sounds like peals of thunder. Uh, they're terrified. Before sin they had a very close personal relationship with god and now they're scared to go anywhere near god and to me that's a great illustration of how awful uh sin is and how destructive it is yeah what what led to all that you know it was sin and you refer to in the first episode uh when we talked about the last episode when we talked about this the flood and the flood happened because of sin god was so frustrated with the effect of sin on mankind that he was just going to wipe out the entire creation and start over yeah the reset button all because of sin Mm -hmm. so how do i determine the boundaries of sin as a a 21st century christian what would you say well i mean we've we talked about how sort of the mosaic law sort of set how that starts you know, with, with understanding the expectations of God. Um, and in the New Testament, we look at the life of Jesus. You know, how did Jesus live? How did his apostles live when they um, carried on after his uh, resurrection and ascension? And I think we can learn a whole lot in there. What do you think? Uh, I think that you made some very good points. So often we looked to the New Testament and we think, well, the Old Testament was for the old people back then, and the New Testament is for us now. Um, but we see several, 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 uh, I should say many, if I say several that many times, many examples of people referring to the Old Testament, people looking to the Scriptures in, in the New Testament. They look back to the Old Testament for proofs and for direction in the New Testament. And it's not, you know, of course it's not the same, um, we don't have to sacrifice. We don't have to do the same things that they did in the Old Testament. But the moral concepts are there. Uh, the, the backbone is there. And Jesus elaborates on it a lot in his, his teaching. Uh, one thing that I thought about was Matthew 22, when someone asks him what the greatest command is. Um, and he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Do you know where that's from? Yeah, it's Deuteronomy chapter 6. That's the Shema, 
uh, which is still very, very prevalent in Jewish culture today. Right, the Old Testament. So uh, I, there's, you know, there's value in both the Old and the New Testaments. And I think just because it's called the Old Testament doesn't mean that it's irrelevant. Um, that's something that we should remember. Mm-hmm. But all that to say, um, the Bible is one big story. So um, you can't have the new without the old, and you can't have the old without the new. Um, so with all that being said, should should I care about sin? Why should I care about sin? I think the first and most obvious reason is God cares. If God cares and I'm trying to be God-like, then I need to... I need to care about sin also. Uh, But I also thought about Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You do not know an individual who is of any age, um, you know, of age of accountability, we usually say, but if they're old enough to know right from wrong, you don't know anyone who is unaffected by sin. And and the reality is it keeps people from God. You know, we've, we've talked about that consequence already. You should care about that. You should care about people. You should care not just the people you love, but if, if that's all it is, the people you love have this sickness just like we have. Yeah, Romans 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, um, you know, what happens when I sin? Like, I think it's different for where you are in your life. If you're not a Christian... Um, there's a process that you have to go through. Uh, we see in Acts what the people of that time did is they came and repented of their sins, confessed Jesus as their Lord, and they were baptized, and they became uh, members of the church at that time. But what happens if I sin past that? Like, am I going to be perfect the rest of my life after that? No, James 5.16 reminds us to confess your sins to one another. Um, there are remedies for sin beyond baptism. Um, I guess I should say after baptism. I think of, you know, it, it's tough because there's, we have to find, um, I think we are called to try and live godly. We can't just um, live a loose life and not care. Um, and as you brought up, we should care because God cares. We see several different examples of uh, writings in the New Testament. I recently studied 1 Corinthians 5, um, and there's a sinful man in the assembly uh, openly sinning, and Paul tells him, basically tells him to kick the guy out because they're sitting here tolerating sin within their own group. Um, But at the same time, we have to have uh, mercy on each other just as God had mercy on us. So I think it's finding that balance um, not tolerating continual sin, but understanding when people are struggling with something and really trying to fight back at it versus uh, them just not caring. So, I don't know, thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think the easiest thing to worry about as far as diagnosing who has a sin problem is just worry about yourself. Sometimes somebody else's sin problem will become very evident. Uh, and, you know, 1 Corinthians 5, that's a great example. That man had a horribly sinful relationship and everyone knew about it. All right, that's evident. You have to deal with that. But individually, you know, most of the time I need to focus on myself. And so I don't need to get into the habit of just excusing my sinful behavior. I need to be very purposeful and diligent in thinking about 
am I struggling and making mistakes, but in general trying to do the right thing? Or am I a sinful person just acting out of my character? And if, if I'm just acting, or I shouldn't say within my character, if I'm acting within my character that way, then I have a sin problem that I really need to address very seriously. Great point. I like what Romans 6, 12 through 14 says. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Amen. Thank you for joining us where there is hope. It is our goal to share the hope and joy that we find in scriptures with you. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can email us at wtihope at gmail.com. Lamentations 3.24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him.